Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Welcome to Mariella Meets. I'm Mariella Frostrup, and each week I'll be bringing you a selection of the best interviews from our favorite guests. Movers and shakers from the worlds of art and entertainment, politics, business, music, and wider society. To discuss everything from their latest endeavors to career highlights and early beginnings. Intimate, in-depth talk with pioneering talents and fascinating folk discussing the stuff that matters to them and how they scaled the slippery slopes of success. Our next guest has earned an array of brilliant nicknames throughout her career, from Joan of Arc of the Ocean, Hero for the Planet, and best of all, her deepness. Uh, Sylvia Earle is a renowned oceanographer who's led more than 50 expeditions, logged more than 7,000 hours underwater, which totals to around a year of her life, and discovered tens of thousands of species of aquatic life. She is the president of Mission Blue, an organization that aims to establish marine protected areas around the world, and her message has never been so clear. We're taking our oceans for granted. Uh, this December, she's releasing a new book as a National Geographic Explorer Ocean, a visual odyssey, uncovering the science of the oceans. And Sylvia Earle joins me now. And um, welcome to the program. I'm so excited uh, to talk to you. I've logged about 200 hours underwater, which <laughs> is just embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but at my age, it's not. I'm 59. Um, but it's embarrassing in comparison to your 7,000 hours. Um, do you think that people understand enough, not not necessarily about the science of the oceans, but just about the oceans? Or is it something that we all need to be better educated about? Well, now we know what was not possible to know when I was a child. And that is how important the ocean is to maintaining Earth as a habitable planet in a universe that's really not very friendly at all. <laughs> We, we have begun to understand the value of nature, land and sea, but since the ocean dominates climate, dominates the diversity of life, actually shapes planetary chemistry and maintains the basic life support functions, we really do need to listen up why we should care about the ocean. 
I guess, first of all, then, uh, why do you think we've been so careless with the oceans? Is it purely a case of sort of out of sight, out of mind, in so much as we see the shimmering surface, but (laughs) we don't see what's underneath or not underneath? Well, yes, I think you've identified the key issue is that it's only really since the middle of the 20th century that we have we've begun to have effective access to the ocean, to not just the surface, but below the ocean. Of course, Jacques Cousteau showed the way with with scuba and and other, well, just the the joy of of being able to explore the ocean. Anyone can go out and put on a face mask and fins and catch a glimpse of, of the most important issue, I think, of all, and that is the ocean is alive. It's not just rocks and water. When you look at the surface, you have no idea about the magnitude of the diversity and of the abundance of, of life in the ocean that actually shapes not just ocean chemistry, but planetary chemistry, generating oxygen, capturing carbon, maintaining the integrity of systems that have shaped the world over hundreds of millions, literally billions of years to arrive at a place that's just right for the likes of us. So now we know going beyond Cousteau into the great depths below that most of life on earth actually lives in the dark all of the time below where sunlight penetrates. We're terrestrial. And of course, we witness darkness for part of the day, wherever we live. But to know that these creatures that exist in the absence of sunlight, that are really part of the basic functioning of the planet, follow the carbon cycle from the surface to the great depths. And people are beginning to do that now and to understand why do we need to protect the ocean? Because the ocean keeps us alive. So what sort of state would you say that they're in today? How much has the balance changed in your lifetime? In just recent decades, we've seen coral reefs decline by by about half. And that same sharp decline, destruction, the loss of mangroves, seagrass meadows, kelp forests, and populations of wild animals, you know, fish, cod, grouper, sharks, um, (laughs) you name the fish that you like to munch on, their populations are in serious decline. Overall, for the large commercially extracted species, a a level of about 90% gone. That means in basically about half of a, half a century, we have really been so aggressive and so successful at extracting wildlife that we just have threads, bare, <laughs> you know, little bits of the fabric of life remaining from what existed when I was a child. We can do better than this. We still have a chance with half the coral reefs still in good shape, 10% of the sharks. In some cases, maybe as much as 10% of the the tunas remaining and cod. And you you name the fish or other wildlife that you like to consume as seafood. It's likely to be far, far less abundant than it was 
when you know the middle of the 20th century or even at the beginning of the 21st century one of the reasons that restoring the ocean by protecting large areas of the ocean marine protected areas sanctuaries whatever you want to call them some justify it based on well we'll get more fish to eat if we protect large areas of the ocean and while there is evidence strong evidence that, that that's true when you stop the killing and start the carrying you get more fish but that's not the main point the real reason that we must seriously embrace the ocean with large areas of protection and and really all of it to look at it with with the understanding that the ocean a healthy ocean is necessary for healthy humans and and like we said at the beginning it's quite hard and i'm you know for myself you know who and i am very engaged with with what's happening under the oceans that would not have happened probably if you hadn't if i hadn't had the luxury of being able to see for myself and and seeing those changes happen that that you're describing but for a lot of people who don't get to see that um how do you engage their sympathies? I mean, what first, you know what, what first interested you in the ocean, Sylvia, as a little girl growing up? Life in the ocean drew me into the ocean and it still does. The magnificent diversity of life, the, you know, the, all of the major divisions of animal life are out there, down there. Only about half of these major divisions of diversity are found in, with all of the land put together, but in a very small area of a coral reef, a kelp forest, or even on a wet sandy beach, you can find a dozen or, or 15 or more phyla divisions of animal life. So the diversity of life. You were 12 when you when you moved uh, from New Jersey to Florida and, and, and the Gulf of Mexico became your backyard. But I think an interest in the underwater world was, was quite a challenge in, in the late 40s. So you went on a quest to find out more answers for yourself. Tell me a little bit about your university experience. Well, you know, the, the key to caring is knowing. Being blessed with the, the opportunity to not only go to the universities that I've, I've, I've been to, but, but to actually be able to explore the ocean. The biggest source of my understanding is, is by going into the ocean and learning from the ocean herself. But yeah. it, was, it was fascinating as a young woman to be able to do things that most women were not allowed to do at the time, like to go to sea and and not just observe from the surface, but to actually be able to dive under the surface. Most women were not expected to put on tanks or even to go on research vessels in the 1950s or even in the 1960s. Now, fortunately, that is changing, and it's not uncommon to see women as chief scientists on expeditions, women captain, being captains of the ship, women doing the calculations, 
I think you first embarked on your or your first groundbreaking expedition, which was the six-week Indian Ocean voyage in 1964, when the headline said, Sylvia sails away with 70 men, but she expects no <laughs> problems. I mean, it really does. At least, at least it does show how much the world has changed, uh, hopefully. Not in, enough, it, by it, any it, means, but we are on a, a, the right way, right pathway. I've been a witness to change on so many fronts, including the the social acceptance of having women be regarded as as scientists instead of the note takers and and the assistants. That it, it's still not where it should be in terms of respecting people, regardless of gender or age or of whatever, where they've come from, what language they speak, or other factors. We're all in this together. Now we know that that this is something that we have to pull together. Take talent wherever you see it. Take knowledge wherever you can find it. Also, I guess we've got to bring people along. And, and you know, part of the, the way of achieving that is just getting people to imagine the world that you've seen i mean you're you're a woman of fasts you've broken so many records achieved so many incredible heights or indeed depths what's the what's the most extraordinary thing that you've seen understanding that most of life on earth lives in the dark below where sunlight shines is something that has taken me thousands of hours underwater to finally get it to to see that what should be obvious has been staring us in the face all along <laughs> that most of life on earth is out there in the ocean and most of it is in the deep sea below where sunlight penetrates. Of course, sunlight powers photosynthesis, generates food, generates oxygen, takes carbon and not only sequesters it in the deep sea, but keeps it in motion that the little organisms that consume phytoplankton are consumed by larger species and on up the food chain so that now we can see that whales, for example, are thought to be worth at least a trillion dollars because of the carbon that they hold. At COP26 in Glasgow, nature-based solutions to climate change began to come into focus as headlines, really for the first time. And what did you think about what was achieved there in terms of the oceans? I mean, absolutely, there was a lot of conversation about them. You know, I talked to the, the amazing, I'm sure you met him, the environment minister from Palau, who who pleaded a really kind of brilliant case for small islands and, and you know, that are at the front line of, of you know, changes in the ocean and everything. But do you think anything tangible was achieved there? Did you go away feeling more positive? Very excited that the ocean really was front and center, that nature was front and center, I mean, it seems, again, so obvious. Now we can see what could not be seen. We did not have the, the technology to get us into the ocean, to make the connections between the carbon cycle on the land, the carbon cycle in the ocean, and why that matters, and why there is a, a tendency to look at why we need to protect the ocean so we can have more fish to eat, but actually, the reason we need to protect the ocean is so that we have a planet that is habitable for us. I think one of the really important things, um, you know, is is 
you know, the messaging can be incredibly bleak, can't it? And if you look at the sort of devastated underwater landscape in certain parts of the world, you will just despair and think, well, we've destroyed it, that's that. But actually, marine parks, as, and as you described them, you know, on a scale with big ambition, actually really work. I mean, I remember once going to Honduras and diving on one side of the island and seeing, you know, after half an hour of nothing, a tiny little lobster, you know, the size of my finger, and I've got very small hands. And then the dive guide saying, well, I'll take you around the other side of the island and show you somewhere where we've had a marine park for five years. And it was literally like stepping into biblical ocean, you know, the difference that you could make in just a very short period of time. So people listening, rather than despairing about what we've destroyed, might want to be animated about what we can achieve, Sylvia. Absolutely. We know what to do. We have the power to do it, that protecting the ocean is not about having more fish to kill, any, no more than having national parks, protected areas on the land so we can have more birds to kill. <laughs> we need to protect the ocean because our life depends on healthy ecosystems. We, we can see it. We can measure it, that one island on one end is Haiti, the other end is the Dominican Republic. The Dominican Republic tends to have more protection for the ocean than the other half of the island or part of the island that is really consuming everything from the ocean. So, as you describe, protection works. We need to protect the ocean as if our life depends on it. <laughs> right now, we only have about 3% of the ocean that is safeguarded in a way where there is a rebound of fish. And yes, they do spill over into the depleted areas. It does work to have more fish. But the reason we should have more fish and shrimp and squid, poor squid, they're hammered everywhere. We need to keep them intact so they can restore health to the planet that is now in serious trouble when you see half the coral reefs gone and the kelp forests and 90% of many of the fish that, and squid and other creatures, that we know how to kill them. We, know, we, we also know how to restore them. Let's get busy. Let's do that. 30% by 2030 is a goal now widely embraced by countries around the world. And now we're at 3%. We need to get busy fast. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. 
Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. They were talking at today about octopus farms and of course fish farms are nothing new but they are proliferating whether it's as you said shrimps there or you know any number of of species what do you think about um you know maintaining our relationship to marine life as food but farming it aquaculture smart aquaculture has a future but most of the aquaculture currently is not based on what I will call wisdom. Trying to raise carnivorous animals has a big price tag. And as long as we regard wild fish as free goods, it's kind of hard to convince people that, that taking large quantities of wild fish or squid or other wild animals from the sea, as long as they're free to feed to farm fish, it's a business model that only works when you account for it in the way we currently do. So salmon farms are maintained by taking wild fish, lots of them, to get a few fish, a few of them, out of what we take from the ocean. This is not a smart business model. But there is hope for aquaculture, but largely if we focus on plant-eating animals and if we don't think of the ocean as just, again, free space there's an impact to aquaculture when we start in taking over spaces in the ocean that we really need to maintain integrity life support functions wild places that keep us alive we 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 think we know what we're doing when we say oh let's just go farm the ocean it's free space and we can take wild fish to feed to farm fish only if you account for the ocean as a zero value, you don't have to pay for it, and zero cost to the wild fish and shrimp and, and squid and other wild things that you grind up as fish meal to feed not only to wild fish, but to cows and chickens and pigs and, and other farmed animals. One incredible thing that you've achieved recently is convincing the former director of Google Earth, which I think you jokingly referred to as Google Dirt, uh, for its focus entirely on land. Uh, You've uh, got them to include interactive maps of our oceans. Um, I wondered what impact you think that will have and and what's next on your list of aims? What's imperative? Knowing really is the key to our survival. It's the key to caring If you don't know, you can't care. And people haven't known how important the ocean is to every breath they take, every drop of water we drink. And we've been been careless. We've been complacent on the land, clear-cutting forests so that maybe 5% of the old growth in European forests and across the Northern Hemisphere, certainly in the United States, a fraction what existed only 200 years ago now remain. We used to think of wild animals for furs, 
200 years ago, the Lewis and Clark expedition celebrated for exploring North America. But why did we go out there to explore? So we could open up for, for commerce, the North American continent, killing birds, killing mammals, looking for new ways for transport. Okay, we did a really good job of doing all that. And around the world, it's, it's no different. It's exploiting the, the living planet to foster our prosperity. But we've gone right to the edge. Now we know that taking from nature has limits and we're paying the price of, of, our, of our lack of understanding that nature is resilient, but not infinitely so. We can take so many passenger pigeons that what seemed infinite can be exterminated. We did it by the early part of the 20th century, gone. And we're doing it in the ocean too. 90%, many of the fish, gone. How long before they're all gone if we continue doing what we're now doing? You've been doing this all your life, all your life, and it's a long life. The how do you feel at, at this point? <laughs> I don't want to remind you, but how do you feel at, at this point? Do you feel more optimistic than you might have done 20 years ago, let's say, or less optimistic? Much more optimistic because of just what we've been discussing. Now we know what we could not know before. No one had been to space looking back on Earth when I was a child. Whales were thought of as products to be exploited for money. When I was a child, we, the whalers were heroes. <laughs> and now we look at them differently. We, we need to consider what we've learned and really wake up, shake off the complacency that the ocean is infinite in its capacity to take whatever we want to throw there and to yield whatever we want to take. New respect for the natural living world is the key to our survival. This is the sweet spot in time. We know what we could not know before, and we still have a chance. In the next 10 years, we'll define the next 10,000 years based on what we do or what we fail to do. Whether the kids of 2050 or beyond will look back at this time and say, you got it, great. You really initiated swiftly the changes because you understood the power of action while there is still time. There's a chance that they won't. If they'll say, why didn't you act on what you knew? It's right there. You had the evidence. And you just continued that complacency that characterized all preceding history. I really opt for the positive because we do still have time. And the kids Think of what the power they have that is based on knowing what I could not know as a child. But it isn't just the 10-year-olds. Those who in their lifetime, the 20-year-olds, the 30-year-olds, those who have come along at a time when this revelation about, oh, Earth is in decline. Climate change is a big deal. We are the cause. We're also the solution.
Thanks for listening to Mariella Meets with me, Mariella Frostrup. There'll be more from the podcast next week, so make sure to download the free Times Radio app to never miss an episode. And don't forget, you can catch the live edition of my programme every Monday to Thursday, 1 till 4 on Times Radio. Catch you next time. Thank you.